0: Hi everybody, so here's a new podcast. Today I have a guest, his name is Ephraim and uh, actually before we start, for all the newcomers I always interview a person to tell us something about what they are doing since I'm currently in Ethiopia. So today we will talk about mental health and actually how the fabric of our society and culture influences it. Yeah, so now Ephraim, I want to ask you maybe you can introduce yourself and tell us a little bit, maybe what you're doing.
1: Okay, Hannes, thank you for the podcast. Finally, I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, my name is Ephraim uh, Bakala. I am from Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And basically, what I do is mental health through art and uh, through art projects and through media. So it's uh, I have many projects but I can categorize it into mental health awareness uh, and this is happening through uh, some creative things like art performance and also media as in radio like we have radio like you have podcast now so we have also radio to teach about mental health and connect with the community and understand what's the awareness level also so this is pretty much what i do i am really interested in innovative projects and in art and also in traveling so this is uh, me in a brief words thank you Anas.
0: cool thank you thank you maybe you can explain shortly what is mental health and why it's actually important
1: okay so um yeah it's a good question so uh health has different parts right so we have this biological health physical health uh we have also the other part which is emotional or mental health so um i can i can divide a person into three parts like in body uh, mind and spirit. so the body needs to eat food to drink more water and to sleep that's what i advise people also advise us But what's about the mind, you know? What does the mind need? Okay, the mind also needs food, the same thing. The mind needs good food, it needs water, it needs air to survive, right? But at the same time, it needs a little bit more of what the physical body needs. So the mind needs, for example, peace, for example, new information. Uh, The mind needs some kind of relaxation, emotions. And also the mind needs to talk. To release, just like the body releases, the mind also needs to release through talking or through some painting or through exercise, through networking kind, kinds of things. So mental health is pretty much about your emotional health. For example, how are you feeling when someone asks you on the street, hey, Hannes, how are you feeling? Then he's asking or she's asking you your mental health, but in a very cultural setup, in a cultural way. But who thought like that? You know what I'm saying? Why he's asking me? Uh, why is he asking me whether I'm fine or not? But he's asking you whether you're mentally stable or not. And also when, um, when, when we feel too much stress, or when we are doing a lot of things more than our ability, then that's when the mind stretches, and also at the same time there is a new stress or anxiety coming. So pretty much mental health is about emotions, about our thoughts, it's about our memories, it's about stability you know it's about how we feel and also it's about what we dream our dreams our past our future and our current so i would say uh, all the things that we did in the past it's it's a mental health thing whether it's good or bad what we are doing now it's a mental health and what we're going to do in the future is also it's it's about it's going to affect also our mental health so it's about our emotion and basically in thought that's what what i understand about mental health
0: Cool and um, so far, like, are there many other people who do mental health in Ethiopia? How much, how big is the awareness about this topic? And how do you see the mental health in in Ethiopia?
1: Yeah, there are um, few clinics and health centers for mental health in Ethiopia, but basically most of them are located in Addis. Uh, if you go outside of Addis, you can only find few psychologists or psychiatrists in a public hospital so i would say that uh the ratio is also shocking like we have 0.83 uh psychiatrists for 1 million population in ethiopia (laughs) so that means we have 83 psychiatrists in the whole country for 110 million population so but when you come to the cultural side all i can say i can say that everyone is also a therapist here like you know what i'm saying they listen to you. They drink. Uh, we drink like coffee. Three round. We sit uh, in a circle, and we call it Bunama Flat. So we make um, three rounds of coffee, venting emotions, talking about things that we did, or our fear, or our wish, you know, our dream, our trauma, our abuse, anything, you know. It's a coffee. So the coffee ceremony is pretty much. It takes, I can say, two up to three hours. <laughs> Sitting. So uh, this is uh, the cultural side of the co- committee is also uh, very good when it comes to social support. So the social support in Ethiopia is very much good. But the medical support, you know, the professional support is very, very still in demand. And I would say that uh, there are, I can say, the less than 10 clinics, private clinics in Addis also. But in the government public care um, hospitals, you can find psychiatrists. And some psychologists. And also another shocking is like we only have one public hospital for mental health, one specialized mm-hmm. public hospital, which is called Emmanuel Hospital for mental health in the whole country. And now another one came for substance abuse, as in rehab center in, in the northern part of the country in Mechale. Uh, it's part of the university project. So I would say that there is a huge need, especially now these days. Uh, there was this research I read in Addis the top 10 um, deaths you know causes what are the top 10 causes for days so they found out the 10th level is suicide in Addis so that means we don't we're not talking about this thing but it's happening you know we're not providing the service but it's happening it's the top 10 so and also when it comes to um, awareness it starts with the professionals even you know let alone the community, but it starts with the professionals. Those uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, and uh, doctors in the mental health field, uh, the way we see it is more into culture. Even if we are professional, there's also this cultural thing about mental health. As in, for example, a person with schizophrenia in Ethiopia usually is considered as, uh, it's a curse from God or from the creator, you know, uh, this will not uh, heal, this is uh, what you get, like a karma, you know, what you get for doing bad in the past, so you, you are just cursed or something, so this, even you can hear these things from professionals, they know that they can, they can help the person, not all of them, but you can also this hear from religious and cultural background, so with the awareness, it's a huge issue, it's a huge gap in Ethiopia. So we're working on the radio that's to fill this awareness gap. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, yeah, I wanted to ask you, maybe you can give like some examples of the cases you have or like, yeah, some stories maybe you can tell us.
1: Oh, yeah. Like this is, this house is like a, a hub for story because uh, we brought, we broadcast radio three times a week, everything in the afternoon. And most of our radio shows are focusing on stories. We build knowledge and awareness from stories. Not just, okay, depression is this, this, this. Depression is caused by this. Not like that. But we just broadcast a story. Then we build the knowledge from that. What, what do we learn from this one? What's the symptom? What's the, what's the issue? Um, so based on that, there is, there is a still um, a huge need for the therapy. We what we've seen is like people don't go to hospitals or clinics, but they tell to their friend as in a story. But in this office also we make it very simple for people to come and talk about their stories. And sometimes they don't want support, they don't want therapy, they just wanna tell their story on the radio. So I can just mention one story which is from two thousand sixteen or seventeen, between that year. Uh so the guy uh, he's a father of three uh, he's, uh, then he, has, he had a wife and they' like happy one happy family uh, consisted of five people. Uh, one day, like he heard about our show and he came to office, and he was not wearing uh, appropriately you know so okay, then we, uh, we sat down with him and we started listening. so there was an incident that happened a month before he came to our office. so he said, "I, I listened to the show then I came. I came to I just came I just walked to the office he said so the story is like his wife and him were like so in love with each other so they have these three kids uh, they live around Sh- this uh, Shromeda area where you can find cultural dra- clothes then one night um, he usually comes late because he's working on the textile like on the handmade te- textiles hand woven textiles cottons. then uh, he usually comes late and one of his kids the daughter. She usually waits for him to come to home and they uh, sleep as in family. So she usually waits for him. So, and then on, that, on those days, there was, there was this thing that the community, the, the neighbors saw on his wife, you know. His wife became very silent. She doesn't want to go outside, you know. She, she usually stays at home. Like for a couple of days. One night when he came to home, his daughter is still waiting for him. Then he had his dinner with his family. Then they slept. Then around 2 a.m. or something, his wife came to, came to the room uh, with a knife. She uh, beheaded her daughter, her own daughter. Then he woke up witnessing that. So he couldn't uh, save his child. And it was a very shocking thing for him. He had a panic attack and everything. The kids woke up and everyone started screaming. So then, uh, his wife ran away, and he also went left home naked, you know, because he's going through panic attack. Then the next day, he wanted to kill himself to make a suicide, but he couldn't. He couldn't uh, be successful. Then he also thought about, you know, making homicide when the kids were inside because he gave up. He doesn't know what he's doing because he was in still denial. You know, it's like he he really wanted to leave the truth, what happened. So then, again, uh, he, he he couldn't make it. He, he was not successful. Then he went to his wife's family. He tried to also to make a suicide, uh, homicide, and he couldn't make it. So then, finally, he went to a, a police station, and he said, my wife did this. And the police started looking for his wife. They they captured her. And then he kind of lost stability you know, mentally. So he couldn't feed his child and everything, though he stopped he quit the normal routine then he went to a lawyer they took him they took him to a lawyer to get an advice and the lawyer told him some story the story was the lawyer used to work with us so the story was about holding a stone and living with that stone in your pocket because of resentment you know because of some hurt oh so then he heard about that story and he went out from the office and he doesn't know what to do he just walk he was just walking he heard the same story from our radio show so he Tigist was talking, our co-founder. Then uh, he came to office. That's it. So we went with him like for one year therapy, like depression, trauma healing, and also some other self-help trainings and therapies. Then after one year, uh, we call it breaking free. He became really like free from from what happened. So uh, he said, "I want to go to the jail and I want to forgive my wife because she also got a test for mental health and she was going through some instability. She told that her kid, the daughter, was was coming to attack her. She was hallucinating. So then we uh, tried to give her some help through psychiatrists, and finally he he went to the prison and he uh, made, made a reconciliation with his wife, you know, to move on." Um, and she got 20 years for that. And he's still now, uh, we facilitated a fund, like a loan from the bank from one of our sponsors. They gave him a loan. Then he's, he resumed his own business. Then now he's um, living with his two kids and he's totally stable and he's visiting his wife, you know, to move on and also create a better relationship for the kids also. So that was the power of <laughs> the one year therapy. How How this can be consuming at the same time, how can, how can this be powerful in changing people's lives, even after such kind of tragic incidents?
0: So sometimes people f- come here and often like maybe family issues or things which don't go so well in the family, they come and tell you. And I think you also told me you, you are doing marriage counseling. So how do you see, like, I think Ethiopia is like a very traditional society, and now, kind of you the change is quite fast because also the political and the, the economical change is fast, so I think that also has like an impact on the on the society. How do you see this change people standing between old tradition and new values
1: so one thing i'm daily sure is that you cannot st- Stop changing, right? You cannot uh, have the same value or have the same culture throughout 200, 500, 600 years. So things change. Uh, But also there is some positive resistance for change and there is some negative resistance for change. So I would say that there are very strong and very valuable and important values in the community. And people are trying to protect those things by being positively resistant to a a new thing. At the same time, there is also resistance, you know, a negative kind of resistance for good things coming from abroad. It could be from anywhere. So I would say that, for example, there is some cultural identity crisis. For example, when the Ethiopian diaspora comes here to visit their families after 20 years or 15 years or 30 years, they still have that tradition and value of being Ethiopian. And also at the same time, they've been living somewhere. Somewhere in the in the world, then they come back here and you, you, you can easily see that cultural identity crisis as in through their kids you know, so they want they want them to be both Ethiopian and and the new culture you know the new place, so they demand, because they're going through change you know for twenty years they were they were like following the tradition here, then for the another twenty years they've changed. So in that 40 years person you'll find two values two explanations for the same thing. For example if you ask them about sex education. So that person would answer can answer both ways you know as in Ethiopia or as in this guy living somewhere you know. So you you can always see those two answers or kind of confusion thing. So, this is also very much visible, like I said, on their parenting, you know. When they start parenting their kids, they expect both cultures, like, you know, in one person, both things, you know. Take the good things from both cultures, then be a good person. (laughs) So, that frustration is, I think for me, is from that change. Mm -hmm. So, when they come here also, you'll find in Addis also a lot of culture, a lot of mixing culture, right? Because of, like you said, the economical change, the politics change, the social change. So, I would say that... People uh, are open these days, more, much open than before, to experience new, new values, new cultures and new things. But at the same time also, for example, last Christmas, there was a big uh, movement that we also have our own Santa Claus, you know, <laughs> our own version of Santa Claus. So uh, it's called a Babaganna, uh, the traditional thing. So they brought, even the media brought it from the from the old days. And they put it on the media, and you know, it became became optional. You know, you can use the Santa Claus with the red outfit, and you can use also the Santa Claus with the Ethiopian outfit. So it's it's a bit of it's a bit of mixing both, and at the same time also looking for balance in this in this change. People sometimes, especially parents who were born before, I would say, 90, 90, 70s and uh, youth who were born after 1990s or 1980s something, you can see that uh, small conflict, like, you know, cultural differences. So they say this is not ours, so this will, uh, will not help us, some things like that. But also people from after 1985 or 1990s, uh, they're more in line inclined to other things. So also you you'd see that with the technology advancement, you'll see a new kind of stress in Ethiopia in Addis especially so before we used to have this face to face conversation without any disturbance and stuff like that and people also believe that conversations are very important you know deep conversations but now the new generation is also oh why conversation we can use cell phones so when this generation tries to communicate with the other generation it would be a huge trouble uh, it would be a huge conflict because the the, form, the previous ones they appreciate this deep conversation so there's also some new mental health, I can relate this to mental health, for overworking. People now, they have three, four or two jobs at the same time in their lives. But before, people say oh, one job, then family, <laughs> or they say family first. But now so you can see new, kind of, new kinds of things because of that. New kinds of opportunities at the same time, new kinds of challenges, yeah
0: yeah I think actually, like we can see this generational change also in other countries, so which I think came with with the internet and with smartphones. I think now, what I believe we have to make more a conscious decision what we want, how much time we want. With our smartphone, for example, maybe also this this one can also be related to mental health. Do you have like some tips or some advice how like people can improve their mental health, like their mental fitness, basically in the daily life?
1: Yeah, I think uh it depends on what kind of person you are, what kind of things you like, because mental health is about also doing what you like, doing what you love and having choices in life. For example, uh, if you have a choice on the table what to eat, then yeah, that's good for your health, physical health. At the same time, your mind is excited about that. Okay, I can choose. So you feel very stable, you feel very confident about your choice. But also that's not directly going to the mind, it's going to to the body. But the mind also feels good. Maybe a few tips could be... People to do a little bit from different things. There are some people who are very much highly super, 100% of the time focused on family. Especially in Ethiopia, that's the culture. Then when one part of the family passed away or something, you know, then the whole family breaks because it's it was all about family. It was all about dad or mom or something. Then they break, you know, the emotional break, uh, the the attachment, and everything was a lot, you know. I'm I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying you need also to find a meaning in life, right? Uh, beyond family. Okay, you have a family. That's a good news. You have parents. Then good. Do you have friends? Do you have uh, a passion project in life? Do you have a job? Do you have some activities that you only love? You know what I'm saying? So you don't have to be similar to everyone in the family. So we have, I would say that for Ethiopian especially, to have this personal thing, you know, and also to balance this with other things, with family, job, friends, spiritual life. It could be those things. So we can say that there is Ethiopian, you know, it's called Ambasha, there's Ethiopian bread. It's a circle one called ambasha and we cut it in a slice like a pizza we cut or you can take pizza as an example so every slice makes the big pizza the big ambasha so you need different slices right in life also we need those slices to make it a huge one big beautiful life or pizza but the pizza is not one it's just it's made from different things it's like that also with life so do things different things in life, it could be job in between job, take a nap or <coughs> drink some water or call a friend, or you know what I'm saying, just walk, do different things in the same monotonous kind of bit, so I think the problem here, what I see is like people are in monotonous right, everyone is going to the same place together the whole day, <laughs> the whole year, and there is no changing even the route to home or something, so that's for me is when we can we connect this to mental health is like When you lose that, you're insecure because you don't have different routes. So that's also one of the insecurity for mental health. Other things would be to go outside of the city and discover other things also. You know, the city life, we know it's, it's a very tight and very stressful to go outside of the city. And the other thing is to talk to friends when you have some stress, like some, something going on in your life, like to talk to anyone that you believe that is fits to listen to your story. So. Talk to people about what's going on. You know what's what's going on in your life. Okay, you don't have people, or you don't you don't want to talk. Okay, how about journaling? How about writing it? And after, man, one month, going back and see what happened. That also could be one one tip. And listen to your mind and body also. Like people say the mind is listening. Okay, the mind is listening. But also you have to listen to the mind. When it's tired, when it's stressed, when it says enough is enough, just give it a break. You know, do something physical. So when the physical thing is also tired, you can do something mental. So I would say that's just looking for listening to these signals, especially internal signals.
0: Okay, so I think there is this difference on a scale between individualized societies and then like societies more like Ethiopia, where it's more a group thing. You are like often in a group, in the family. And I think actually there are many advantages being in this group because you have a lot of social connections and that creates a lot of happiness. I can say it's also a thing which helps to give like this social safety net. But at the same time, I'm wondering, you told me that when an Ethiopian kid is growing up, for example, it's not only that the parents maybe tell the kid how to behave, but basically every adult. So the kid has to watch out like, okay, uh, where's the next respect person? or oh, Okay, I have to behave, otherwise this person will rule me. But then also I think... The school system is similar, like, okay, you, you have to do what the respect person, the teacher is saying. Uh, some system is telling you how to behave and then you have to behave like this given all these structures which tell you okay you need to do this i also realized that young people in ethiopia like when i was maybe working with them together they were looking at me and i was supposed to tell them what to do but i wanted them to find out themselves so now you were saying for mental health we need to have like different options And choose what we want, maybe find our own passion project and do what we want. But my question is, is it maybe difficult for people who are used to grow up in a society which is like where basically every adult is your parent and telling you, you need to do this. Now switch to think, okay, but I want to do this. Like that's maybe the drawback, a little bit of a group versus individual. Like individuals, they think all the time for themselves, but never so much for the group, which is obviously also a disadvantage. But if you're always in the group, you're like, okay, I need to look out for the elderlies in the group and do what they want. So how how can we bridge these differences between these two worlds? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure if I know how to bridge but
1: yeah, but pretty much like as an Ethiopian child, I remember, and I remember with my friends also that everyone is trying to coach, mentor. Uh, like you said, everyone is like every adult around is also uh, feeling responsible. There's also a positive side, which is like everyone feels responsible. But I remember that if something happens on the on the road, people would involve. Like you know, so they say stop this, and uh, who's Who's your parents? Who's your father? I'm going to take you. So they stop going to home and they take you to, to their, to your home. So they feel like responsible. But there is this thin line that there is also over responsibility, you know? For example, if that guy, if I was robbed on the streets as a kid underage and if other, one person comes and feels very responsible and he takes me, he protects me and takes me to my dad, that's very good, you know? Because the system, the system is not the only solution. The police or the others, we have the social system, which can protect you. But that person goes to home, delivers me to the dad, and he sits for four hours and talks about how careless I was, like, you know what I'm saying? Talking about my, with my dad about my issue for four hours, three hours. That's what I feel very much over. <laughs> Too much responsibility. I mean, you know, that's the, the problem when we lose the point, okay? So usually, like he said, people, it's good it's a great culture that we're losing now people are we're used to be responsible they they become really too much responsible and they suffocate you and you cannot even think you're just satisfying people you're just submitting yourself your thoughts to other people to make them happy or to feel uh successful you know they say yes that's a good job and you feel oh i'm right now so looking for approvals so that's why maybe the youth, they are looking for your approval, you know, even if they have something to do, they have something to come up with, they're still looking for approval. Okay, go ahead. If you say, so you need more when you, when it comes to group activity, you need to all over again, like you have to say it. Yes, this is better way you can do it. You have to say these things every day so that people, okay, I'm approved so I can do it, but not everyone. So I would say that now it's changing somehow, but also it's too extreme, you know? What I see is like there are two extremes. The first extreme is letting person, the, the individual to become a super, very individual, like, you know. So the other part is to become extremely social, extremely, like I say, group thinking. Then you cannot even think by yourself. So you, for example, when you go to somewhere with a friend, with five, you don't even know where they're going, but you're just going, you know what I'm saying? That's the effect of that group thinking from childhood. So then when you go there, then that's not really interesting for you, but you act like you are happy or something, you know what I'm saying? So at the end of the day, you might end up hating the group because you didn't have your say in the first place. So that's something, like you said, that's what's happening now. But there is always something in between, right? Which is like to feel responsible socially. For me, it's like parents can teach their kids uh, or caregivers. They're not supposed to be only parents. They can be caregivers. Caregivers, they can teach their kids to be individual, they are individual, right? It's the person who's thinking, it's the person who's deciding, it's the person getting the reward or the punishment at the end of the day. But also the person works in a social system, in a group. The person lives with other people, right? So if the person is very loud, he might disturb other people. I think it's great to tell the kids that they are individual, but also um they can create their own culture also they pretty much can do whatever they want but with the social harmony you know there's also system a social system which they can uh be happy by converging into it but also at the same time they can build that society and they feel secure and they feel happy and they have someone in life to think for and someone to protect them also uh, emotionally and physically in every sense so i would say uh it's teaching both both things i think that's uh, the way
0: okay so basically you're saying like maybe uh life enriching way to do it would be to have some elements out of both yeah, so I wanted to ask you, what is your outlook for for Ethiopia? Like, maybe is there something you want to tell the people who are listening? Okay, um, it would
1: be going back to history and finding your roots and understanding why we become like this. Not physically or like this, but culturally and in a social term. So going back and knowing that history is very important. The wisdom, especially the local wisdoms, traditions, you've been mentioning values. Why would those people chose those values, you know? Why? Why is it that? So, before we change anything, it's great to show some empathy by going back and studying history, listening to all the people. Why did you come up with this rule, you know, social rule or norm or regulation? Then we can bring it to this level of understanding or this era and... Not every new thing is really good, right? So people, these days, like, everyone is looking for a new thing, you know, innovative, new solutions, new, not every new thing is important. I would say for the Ethiopian fellows to go back to uh history and understand why first, the intention, what was the intention? It could be war, it could be uh health, it could be education style. We have this traditional way of teaching kids and it was somehow successful, I believe, even When you compare it to the modern one, because there was no competition, there was no ranking, there was nothing. It was just making a circle and teaching kids and letting them play or something like that. So, uh, understanding that, then we can, you know, integrate or we can say, okay, this is not good for now. We can keep it as a as archive. (laughs) We can move on, and when we need it, we can also use it. So I would say, um, yeah, understanding the past and uh, the intentions, and finally coming to this point and making a decision. Whether we use this or not.
0: Okay. If I can summarize, Ethiopia has like quite a unique culture because it was also never really colonized. And now you see there's like a strong movement for change. And you say, okay, before we change things, let's see how the old way was. And let's see if we want to change that part or if it maybe was very life enriching, this old tradition. And if, if so, let's keep it. Or at least let's understand it before we just change things. Let's let understand our own culture before we, we change things. But then also in the beginning, you said you like to innovate. So I want to pick up on that one and ask you like, yeah, like what are you interested in? What kind of innovations? What, what would you like to do?
1: Yeah, um this is my personal humor writing. <laughs> I'm saying for my personal thing, I would love to see new things, you know, new advancements. For example, in the US, I met some guy who was using this empathy machine. They call it empathy machine. It's the VR, you know, virtual reality machine. They call it empathy machine. Now, VR is the most empathetic machine because it takes you to different setups and you would understand empathetically. But if you see TV, it's even if it's 3D TV, but you don't get that empathy, you know, these people in some kind of the world, you know. But if it's VR, then you would be really into the situation and you feel it. That's why they call it Empathy machine. So the guy came and he said, I'm using VR for mental health. And I was like, how? VR is for gaming and everything. So he took us to all these projects, how he's using the VR sound and amazing kind of videos to heal depression with young people in the US, in especially in New York area. So he put these VR machines uh, in the main street. And people in New York, they'll come and they say, okay, let's try. And he was doing an assessment, you know. They're changing behavior and the way uh, they are reflect uh, responding to emotion. So, there was an improvement through the VR. Just one hour video of VR ring. Uh, you, you will be in different place of life through the VR. So, that would be very interesting. You see, like, uh, this is a very high, technological advanced thing. And also, they were using VR for surgery before a doctor becomes a real surgeon. Before the student becomes a real surgeon, they took them through VR, uh, to do a surgery, you know. These things are very interesting, right? Uh, it's, it improves life, life quality and everything. So for me, I would be very much interested in new things like this. But also recently, I'm, I'm also more interested in local wisdom. But if you, if we can put it on table, I would still, uh, look for future, you know. I would love to go to the future, understand what's going to happen with the, with the technological advancements in line with mental health you know is it giving us a hard time like you said okay cell phones are giving us more stress but also they're giving solution to what we call it a very demanding thing like you know doing video call it creates that kind of emotional connection so that would be good for mental health but also a lot of video calls on the on the cell phone would create if it's more than what i can handle it would create stress it would create anxiety, and it would create that that worry or trait that oh somebody is going to call me now. I have to respond. So I would say, in simple terms, uh, I would be very much interested what's going to happen in the future, the the new things. Uh, but for the general comment, I would say that before, like I said before, before we change anything, yeah, change is good. We cannot stop. Also, it's good to understand, to go back and understand why it happened like that.
0: Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. So, yeah, this was the podcast. I talked with Ephraim about mental health and family life in Ethiopia, individuals versus very social group-focused societies, and also like what might be one issue in Ethiopia, that young people, they have so many caretakers in a way, or they are like... Like so much in this group thinking that they sometimes try to run for the next approval or for the next compliment or punishment, whatever it is, extrinsic motivated behavior and forget their own intrinsic motivation, what they truly want to do. So yeah, that was pretty much the podcast. Maybe Ephraim, you have a parting word. So I would
1: say um, use your willpower to explore life before you die. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, yeah then then you don't feel it that you're dying you know, if if you have the willpower to experiment, to experience uh, not only new things but also old things, right? People say uh, experience new things, well, how about experience old things <laughs> so just experience, be open to experience I would say experiment, explore more things in life before yeah, you say goodbye, thank you very much uh, for listening all
0: this time. Thank you Hannes for cool thank you and uh yeah have a good week and ciao ciao